0: Amen. Let me hear the church say amen one more time. Wow, you, you are some ultra super Christians, aren't you? You decided, you saw that snow and you said, I want adventure. I'm going to make it to church. I'm going to give my tithing offering today, no matter what stops me. <laughs> I'm so glad that you made it. I almost didn't make it, but I did. I had to borrow a car to get here. Um, my little honda civic or excuse me my little chevy sonic (laughs) it's basically the same car um doesn't like this kind of weather and uh so it may be time to consider a different vehicle at least for times like this but i am glad that we have a church that wants to be together a church that although those who could not make it today i know they wanted to be and i'm glad to be a part of this family and be a part of what God is doing at the Richland Seventh-day Adventist Church. If you are here for the first time or you are listening to this podcast for the first time, we are so glad that you are joining us today. As you mentioned, I'm Pastor Terrence Taylor, one of the pastors on staff. Our lead pastor, Pastor Sergio Menente, is not here today, but we invite you to come back and hear him preach as we are in this beautiful series, along with Pastor Fred, the storyteller. And as you Those who are here can see I have this rocking chair that we are symbolizing or showing the great storyteller of Jesus, the Jesus, the great storyteller. And I want to invite all of the little children to come up and I'm going to give you a children's version of my message today. So if you'd like to come on up, I think what I'll do is let them sit here and I'll put this chair down there. So come on up and have a seat on the steps. Right here. There we go. All you beautiful childrens, come on and sit down. And I get to sit in the rocking chair, which feels really good on my back. So this is a great arrangement. Good morning, children. Well, I heard Carson, but I didn't hear anybody else. Good morning, children. Is it a good morning? Are you sleepy? Are you hungry? Me too. I'm sleepy and hungry too. But you look absolutely beautiful this morning. And I know you looked out and saw all that beautiful snow, and you probably can't wait to go play in it, right? Is Mommy and Daddy going to let you play in the snow? Oh, well, I hope they do today. Well, I'm going to tell you a story, but first I want to ask you a question, and I need you to raise your hand and answer this. How many of you have ever been to a wedding? How many of you have ever been in a wedding? Okay. How many of you have will are um have been invited to a wedding? Okay. Well, weddings are very special days that cost lots of money and one day you might be invited to a wedding or might be in a wedding that is your own and i want to tell you about a wedding in the bible a story of a wedding in the bible this is what my sermon is going to be about so i'm going to try to paraphrase this i'm going to try to give you the 2019 version of this story okay can we do that Okay, so I'm going to look at my phone to make sure I'm not getting too far off of the Bible, but I'm going to make this make sense as best as possible. So Jesus tells a story about a wedding and what he's trying to say with this story is what his kingdom is like, what God is like. And so he talks about one day there was a wedding where a woman was getting married and she invited her girlfriends to be in her bridal party. And so I'm sure she picked out her favorite dress and I'm sure the husband picked out his favorite suit. Any of you boys ever wore a suit before? You boys ever wore a suit? I know you wore a suit, Carson. I saw you in your suit. And everybody was getting ready. And so she's checking in with her girlfriends to make sure they were getting their dresses the right size, right? Because you can't have a dress that's too big or too small on a wedding day. So she's like, You guys got your stuff together? Are you ready to go? And they said, Yeah, we're ready. We're ready. And I need you to be ready because when the wedding happens, I just need you to make sure everything's right. Make sure your hair's done. Make sure your shoes are flawless and pretty. Guys, I'd make sure your suits are ready, fitted. This wedding's gonna be epic. Now what she said is there's one little thing I need you to do. It's kind of a tradition in our family, is that we carry lamps as soon as the limo comes to pick us up. So when the limo comes to pick us up, make sure you have your lamp because then that way the limo will know that you're part of my bridal party. And I'm like, fine, sure. I don't know what a lamp is. Well, it's this little thing that you, you light. It's like a candle and it has to have oil in it for it to work. So make sure everything's ready. And so the wedding day was getting closer and closer and closer. And everybody's dress was fitting perfectly. Everyone's hair was right. Everyone's suit was fitted. All the shoes fit, and everyone even brushed their teeth. They did. They washed their face, too. Cleaned their ears, everything. Everybody's ready to go. The day of the wedding, a few of her bridal party forgot to make sure their oil was in their lamp. And so one person started to panic, and so guess what she did? She got on her phone, and she went on Amazon. I was like, I, I got to get some oil in this lamp. But Amazon says it's going to take two days to get here. That's not enough time. And I don't, the wedding partner was like, I don't know. They were like, listen, could you give us some of your oil? Because Amazon's not going to be here in two, until two days. And so they said, well, I don't know. I need to think about that because the wedding, they could be coming today. And they said, I guess what? We'll pay for extra shipping. We'll get the oil to come here the next day. Well, what happened was while they were waiting and went to go get their package, the limo showed up. And when the limo showed up, there was only five people in the bridal party that were ready. And so the instructions for the limo driver was look, when I show up, anybody with the with the lamp, I pick them up. He was just a, you know, serious limo driver. He didn't have time to ask questions. He opened the door. He said, Everyone, get on in. Come on inside the truck. They got inside the big, huge limo. Somebody ran away. It was chaotic. And then only five of them made it in. Other people were running for their lives. This is literally what happened. And so they got inside the truck, and they sped off. And then they came back. And they were saying, where is the limo? But the limo had already left. And Jesus was telling this to say this at the end. He said... Stay alert. You, you have no idea when he might arrive. And he was talking about himself when he would come again. So I ha- we have something special for you. Well, it's special to me to remind you of this story. First of all, you can't order everything on Amazon, right? It's just, it's not going to always get here on time. But we have, Pastor Fred has something to give you. And I'm going to need your help in a part of the sermon. So what we have for you is a little light, a little lamp to remind you of the story and to remind you to be alert and be ready. So Pastor Fred's going to hand that off to you. And then at a certain point in the sermon, I'm going to need you to turn it on because you're going to help me with my sermon part. Is that good? All right. Thank you. Go ahead. Right there. Pastor Fred's got it for you. I'm going to need one too, huh? So when the, when we get to a certain part in the story, I'm going to need you to turn it on, okay? Good. Well, I hope you heard a little bit in that story of a preview of what I want to share with you this morning. And what this, these parables um, that this Jesus told, there are two parables that I would like to kind of put in conversation with each other. The first one, as I kind of briefly paraphrased to the children, was Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. Some of you are familiar with that particular parable of the foolish versions. I typically don't really like that uh, title for this, that particular um, story, but I didn't write the Bible, so I can't, I don't have any input in that, but also another passage of scripture, which is interesting, uh, Matthew 12, verses 43 through 45, and I'll come back to that one at the end, but we want to put these two parables in conversation because what jesus is talking about and what he's trying to uh convey uh, is very interesting to me so the thing about parables is i'm sure it will be learning along the way if it hasn't really been fleshed out already is that parables were a very brilliant design of jesus to teach and the way he used parables was that parables never really have one particular meaning they're actually designed with multiple different meanings and multiple different interpretations, they're completely different than any other parts of Scripture. They're they're built and meant to have multiple ways to look at it. And this morning, I want to look at it from this particular perspective of invitation. And there is a parallel between these two uh, stories, and I'm going to show you what those are. But let me just read for you again let me just read it with uh this particular version the nlt version in mind matthew 25 1 through three thirteen. 13 then the kingdom then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom five of them were foolish five of them were wise the five who were foolish didn't take enough oil olive oil for their lamps but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were aroused by a shout. Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up, prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for us all. Go to the shop and buy some for yourselves. But when they had gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready to went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside, calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, Believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day. Or the hour of my return. Now, any of you with a Adventist background, if I were to take a very brief survey—not a very conclusive survey—but I could assume that some of you have heard this story before, you've read this before, and maybe in your mind, a little fear was attached to that. Can anybody confess that this morning? Uh, that this this particular passage was one of those passages that was referencing the second coming of Jesus and, as was shared earlier, the importance of the Holy Spirit being full in your life. That it symbolized that once Jesus comes, if you're not ready, if you don't have enough oil, if you don't have enough of the Holy Spirit, you are going to miss out on the second coming of Jesus. I can confess that there's some fear attached with that story. I can confess that when that story was assigned to me, I felt fear in that moment. Because how do I navigate this? How do how do I see what you're saying about this? Because there are some realities about scripture that we don't have the privilege to ignore or to to get away from. Truth is, that Jesus is going to come. The truth is that we need to be ready. The truth is there is something about knowing Jesus. That is the only thing that allows us to be ready for his coming. But I want to look at an aspect of this that I find is something that we can chew on a little bit this morning. And that's the aspect of invitation. Invitation. Because in this story, there is a dynamic of invitation. When you look at the story from the beginning, you can see that it's pretty straightforward. And I'm going to walk through really what a Jewish wedding was like so you can understand a little bit behind this story uh, in a moment. But there is a sense of invitation. These aren't just random people. These aren't just random. These are people who were invited to be in a bridal party. Now we had a bridal wedding recently uh, with one of our church members here, and it was beautiful. And weddings are a big deal. Weddings are important to the people involved. And when you put together a wedding, as many of you have, you know who your people are when you put that wedding together, right? You've got to make some tough decisions about who's going to be in the party, who's going to show up, who's going to be the best man or the maid of honor. You've got to figure those things out because weddings have a way of really assembling your people. And there are people in your wedding party or a part of your wedding who will either be upset with you if the, if the marriage fails or will be relieved, right? Those are just two types of people that you'll have in your party. There are people who you've invited because not everyone who gets invited to the wedding, you see the same as people getting invited to be in the wedding party. There's no, no dig against them, nothing personal. It just means that you have chosen individuals that know you and that love you and can't afford to be in the wedding. Can somebody say amen about that? And so look at look at it from this perspective. Here is this bridal party. Here is this wedding party. These people were invited to be a part of the wedding. Now, there's a couple articles you could find this if you wanted online that talk about what in Jew, a, Jew, a Jewish wedding was in ancient times. Now, there were really four steps. Now I pulled this article just because it was so simple and easy for me to to read and explain. The first part of this was to be In other words, it was the proposal. and typically uh, this proposal would happen twelve months before the wedding. So this was a year in advance. When uh, uh, someone was proposed to, it would be 12 months before the wedding. I like what this article says that what happened was the groom would come from his father's house to his bride, the prospective bride, the one he was going to propose to, he would pay the price. He'd come with a check and say, this is my proof that I can sustain this relationship I've saved this and this was my gift to the family to basically I know this sounds bad as a down payment but it really was a way to say I'm making a covenant with you right I'm not I'm dropping some major coins on this arrangement and I'm giving this as a gift so you know I'm committed to this so then what would happen is that the groom would come? Do the you know it was a very this was all family driven. So everyone would be there. They would pay uh, the dowry. They would exchange this. It would it would make the proposal, and then he would return back to his house, and he would be away from the bride for 12 months. Wouldn't see her again. But what is he doing? He's literally going to his father's house and adding an addition onto the house. So he's going and he's building a guest house alongside of his father's house. That's what he's doing for 12 months. He is building it. He is extending it. And so usually what would happen was the bride would leave her house and come to the father's house, uh, his, her groom's father's house, which he would have built an additional room on and in one day receive the entire house. But that's what he's doing. 12 months. He is working. He is building. He is getting things set up. The third step with that, the bride would, or the groom would be coming to get his bride, but the time would not be known, right? He wouldn't tell her exactly what would happen or when it would happen. But what he would do was, and the last step, is that he would leave his father's house with his wedding procession, Because the wedding would last about seven days, so it's not just one day. It would be a long week. So it would be a a symbol for him to come riding down the streets with his whole crew, right, with their horses, coming to get the bride. And so down the road, they'd hear, oh, I think he's on his way. Somebody's coming to get uh, whoever her name was. And so she would have to be ready, and her bridegroom's, sorry her bridal party would need to be ready to go now here's what they would need to be ready for they would just need to be ready for seven days right they and what happened was that they would come with their procession and then she would come back with him with her bridal party and they'd have lamps like this so kids can you turn on your lamps now all right so when he came to pick her up they would have their lamps, and they would walk back through the streets together. So, if they did not have a lamp, they would not be in the bridal party. So, can you see now, when the bridegroom shows up, now remember, this is 12 months. This is 12 months to get oil in a lamp. This is 12 months to be ready to go, expecting... That he was coming. And so when they at the last minute. Because obviously they're sleeping. They know that he's coming. And Jesus in the story which is interesting. Notes that they all fall asleep. They're all sleepy. They, they're just waiting for him to show up. They know he's coming. But they realize we're not going to make it. From her house to his house. We don't have enough oil. And so they rush to go get the oil. But when they come back. They're already gone. So when they Go, as the scripture says, go to the house. They know where the house is, right? They know how to get there. They get there, but they're saying, you're not a part of this party, clearly. Because you don't wait 12 months to try to figure out if your dress fits. You don't wait 12 months to try to figure out if your shoes fit. If you know you're in my team, and you're in my party, then you would be prepared. You can keep these on if you want to, kids, but I'm going to move on to this. I'm going to put it right here. But you're more welcome to keep your light on if you like. I just finished um, my last set of classes this year at um, Seattle University for my first year my DMIN program, doctoral program, and I was walking around reflecting and i was reminding reminded of an assignment that we did the first week that we were there and what we needed to do was walk for about two hours actually an hour around the city our seattle is located right downtown right next to capitol hill and so we were assigned to walk around the community and look for what we saw observe what we saw what was the neighborhood telling us about wealth, about unhoused persons, about uh, different people that were living in the neighborhood. And as I was walking around and I was writing deep things down and looking and seeing the different things that were speaking to me, I remember later that evening after I went to class, I started to walk down Capitol Hill. Uh, We used to pastor downtown um, Seattle when we first started, so I hadn't been down there in a while. And as I'm walking around, I had this one interesting question in the back of my mind was where was the church? Now, things had changed since we were there. The demographic of the city was different. And so you can clearly see if you're downtown Seattle, all these young 20-somethings tech millionaires pretty much I mean these these are people that are making insane amount of money at Amazon and Microsoft and all those big tech companies downtown so everyone that was I saw was young at least in their 20s maybe not their 30s yet and I was walking around looking for the church and I was wondering where do these people go to church where's their church now church I was thinking of it loosely I wasn't actually thinking about a place where they would be someone preaching And then on my way back from going to a restaurant, as I was walking back to my hotel, I found the church. It's a brewery called The Garage. And it was right down the street from my hotel. And with a brief estimation, I estimated at least 300 people in there. They were playing games, they were having fun, they were out on dates. And it really raised the question to me, where was their church? Where was the place that they had found belonging? Where was the place that they had found home? And the narrative of the gospel that Jesus is teaching through this story, this parable, is that God has made an invitation to us to belong in his kingdom. Is it, it is an invitation to be reinvited into the family of God. And the, in a real sense, we are home where we feel that we belong. We are home where we feel that we are, um, are not judged and that people love us for who we are and they're willing to love through our mistakes. And it would be perfect if the church was the place where everybody felt they belonged but it's really not the case. Not everyone feels that they belong here. In fact, research tells us that great church attendance in 2019 is attending church once a month. That's the common research, that great church attendance. You already checked your your Sabbath off for the month, so you're good. Coming to church once a month is actually the average church attendance for people. Other research is showing that most people are not coming to church for the sermon. They're not coming to church for the music. They don't care how great your lighting is. They really like children's programming, but that's not really the real reason why they come. The real reason why people are coming to church is because they found where they belong. They found home. Here's the reality. Sometimes we struggle with even feeling that we belong in our own home, the place where we lay down. Sometimes we feel a struggle with even belonging to ourselves. We sometimes struggle with even liking ourselves. There is a person that we are very good at being, In different places, we show up as a different person at work or at whatever communities that we're involved in, but there is that person that doesn't go away when everyone else is gone. And the reality is some people, many of us, don't feel comfortable with that person. We don't even belong with ourselves. But what God is offering is a sense of belonging. It's a sense of invitation that God is saying, I'm inviting you into the family of God. I'm inviting you to be a part of what I am doing. And the second coming of Jesus will be less less about a final judgment and more about a family reunion. It's about a family reunion notice the words that are said knocks on the door it says let us in and um, the servant or the person who answers back in verse 12 and 13 says believe me i don't know you what's interesting about this thread that jesus actually outlines in matthew 25 It's this consistent phrase of I don't know you. Later in the text or in the chapter, you'll see this parable of the sheep and goats, which is not my assignment, so I won't go there. But Jesus mentions this. I don't know you. Have you ever really thought about that? Jesus doesn't know us. I don't know about you, that that seems to be counter to what we understand Jesus to be as creator, as savior, as one who pursues us, as one who loves us. How in the world does he not know us? Make an argument that we don't know him. But how is it that he doesn't know us? He created us, he loves us, he died for us, he knows us by name, he has plans for us, he's gone back to his father's house to build many rooms for us. To bring us to his house. How is it that he doesn't know us? Is it it possible that a part of this invitation to the gospel, to the kingdom, is not just about knowing but also being known. Is it possible that we can know Jesus, but not give him permission to know us? To really reveal to him who we really are. Is Jesus safe? Are we safe enough with him for him to understand and him to live in our very being? Chapter 12 of Matthew, as I'm putting in conversation this other parable with the parable we just read is very short and has almost the same sting as the other verses that we read. Matthew chapter 12 verses 45 through, excuse me, 43 through 45. Here's what it says. When an evil spirit leaves a person, that already is frightening to me, right? Now let's, it's already terrifying to me. So we don't want to talk about evil spirits in a person. Let's just read what the scripture says. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert, seeking rest. And by the way, this is the words of Jesus seeking rest, but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former, look at the word there, home, empty swept and in order then the spirit finds seven other spirits even more evil than itself and then all enter the person and live there so that the person is worse off than before that will be the experience of this evil generation tough scripture jesus Tough parable, Jesus. Help me understand what you're talking about. I can understand the image of a person being filled with evil spirits. Now, in our context, in our day, we don't really see the manifestation of that the way we would imagine it. But let's just be honest. There are a lot of people living with some evil spirits inside of them. There are a lot of people who are living with things inside of them that are taking control. In fact, that was one of the reasons I stopped drinking is when I found out another word for alcohol was spirits. I'm just being honest with you, because I wasn't myself when I would drink. And there were things that were inside of me that were different when I was under the influence, as my sister shared earlier today. You know, it's interesting that people live with so much stuff inside of them that they really are not home with themselves. Memories take over, regrets take over, past mistakes, preferences, prejudices, all those kind of things. What we need is when Jesus is invited into our, in our life, Jesus' desire is to remove all of that mess that's living inside of us. That's the process of repentance. That's what happens when God brings something to us and says, that's living inside of you. And you acknowledge it and say, you're right. This is not the way you want me to live. And so I'm going to agree with you and allow you to remove this out of my heart. That's the, the, really the sinner's prayer. We pray every day. Lord, forgive us of our sins. But there is something that's missing. I love what Jesus is portraying here, even though it's difficult. That the goal is not to just have what's inside of you removed. But that someone or something else is living there instead. And in this passage, you see that this person who has this evil spirit has been swept and has been cleaned out and has been forgiven and free. But guess what? There wasn't another invitation made. And so when when the evil spirit gets lonely, wandering around, not finding someone else to terrorize, because that evil spirit had been comfortable with that person, knew how to tempt them, knew how to get him off track, knew how to make him depressed, knew how to lead them away from their calling from God, kept getting reminded them of the same old mess and confusion. And when they had realized, I'd much rather terrorize that individual. Let me go back and see how they're doing. Get there and find that the person had been slept, swept clean. But when they knock on the door, nobody answers. And see, this is what's interesting about these two scriptures, because there is an invitation that Jesus is making to us to not only know him, to not only know that the bridegroom is coming, to not only have the knowledge or have the spirit to know when the bridegroom is coming, but to be known by the bridegroom, to be known by the, for the voice of To be recognized by the bridegroom and the goal, the the life that we are offered is that when the enemy comes back to us, when the enemy comes to tempt us again, that the spirit of God, that Jesus himself answers the knock on the door. And when the pain comes back and when the trial comes back and when the confusion comes back, that the door swings open and there is Jesus standing at the door saying, can I help you? Are you looking for someone? You no longer live in this residence. The bridesmaids' voice was not enough. I wonder if the bride groom was on the other side and heard the voices and heard them and knew if they were or recognized their voices. I don't know. But the reality is they were not expecting and they were not prepared to be a part of a special day that this bride was having. And I just wanted to encourage you this morning to. Accept the invitation to be known by Jesus. That Jesus is interested in you, just the way you are. He in, He's interested in your life, in your heart, in your being. And he just wants the invitation to not only know you, but to be known by you. This is not about confessing a certain set of doctrines. It's not about... Forcing yourself to live a certain lifestyle. It's not about a a system of routines that you practice. It's about when he comes, I'm expecting him. I'm waiting for him and I can't wait to see him. And Jesus himself is saying the same thing. Because we have all eternity to get to know the father. It will take all of eternity to get to know the kingdom of heaven, and we will be different. In fact, the Bible talks about we will be changed. We will be in our undefiled self, free from sin, free from pain, free from any of those things, and we'll be able to know God face to face, and Jesus is looking forward to that. And what I love about our Savior is that he saw some obstacles. He knew the challenge of sin That was going to ravish the human experience, but Jesus made the decision, I want them anyway. I want to marry them anyway. I want to bring them to my father's house anyway. And what I love this symbolism about the church in Revelation is that when Jesus comes again, it says he's coming for a bride without blemish. Have y'all heard that? Have you read that? He's coming for a church without blemish. In other words, at some point, the church is going to get their stuff together. At some point, becoming and waiting for the king to return is going to be the priority so that they are going to be ready to meet him. And I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that the bride that is described is not just the church at large, but it's the church in us. And that we say to ourselves, even though this world is terrible, even though we see things every day, it's a part of me that's making sure that my tuxedo is ironed. It's a part of me that makes sure I picked out what kind of hair I'm going to wear. It's a part of me that's picked out that knows that these shoes of the gospel of feet of peace fit me very well. That my long white robe That's going to be given to me. I know my size. This robe that I'm wearing now may be tattered and torn, but God's going to give me a new robe. He's going to give me new garments to wear at that great banquet, and I don't want to miss it. So there's an invitation that Jesus is making to us. It says, I want you just the way you are. And you might say, you know what? My life's a mess. I got a lot going on. And Jesus is like, I'll take care of that. Let me come in. Invite me to be known by you. Allow me to remove the things in your life that don't belong. And allow me to clean up your life and keep on inviting me to stay. This light that we shine, it doesn't symbolize our personal purity. It doesn't symbolize how long we've been in the church doesn't symbolize how great we are. It just symbolizes that we're waiting. It just symbolizes that we're taking steps to wait for the king when he comes. And I'm depending. Thank you very much. Put it up in there. I like that. I'm putting my light in the air just to let people know that I'm waiting for a king. And he hasn't come yet. So it's not too late. So we serve a God that's reckless. The worship team's going to sing one of my favorite songs that I sing all the time and play all the time. And I want the words to just meditate and resonate in your heart as we sing it.